0: Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm excited tonight. We're going to be sharing about unclaimed riches. Would anyone like some of those? All right, the rest of you can pass them this way. Uh, that works wonderfully. But I, I was I was hearing about this idea that there is often unclaimed riches or unclaimed money, I don't know if you've ever heard of of such things. Um, It sounds like, uh, it sounds too good to be true. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression of it, it sounds too good to be true. It's because it's too good to be true. And so I started looking at this and discovered that this is frequently a scam that people use um, to try to get money, but it actually works because it can be a real thing. That there is actually like unclaimed money. In fact, uh, a friend from church talked to me a little while back and she's like, I just got money. There was a government website and you like go in and you put on your, put your name and they're like, oh yeah, there's money for you. Why is there money? Like some random person like left you a little bit of inheritance or somehow some business was supposed to pay you back. And I don't know why they paid the state instead of you. But anyhow, I discovered that this is a thing and I'm like, this is cool. This is crazy. And this is going somewhere. Just in case you're wondering why, but <laughs> we were like, "What is going on?" I thought this is a sermon. Yeah, it will be. Um, but, but I started and I started looking at this, and it started. Uh, I don't know. I looked it up. I'm like, "Is this real?" And like the, my my friend, I think they got like less than 200 bucks, but more than 100, which is way better than nothing. But I was like, "Does anyone actually just like score it big with money that they didn't know was theirs?" And I found. Uh, two stories I thought were worth sharing. Um, Archibald MacArthur was an interesting individual who made a lot of money and then decided, after living lavish for a while, he decided he was going to live like on nothing. And had a, had a strange life. And then he ended up passing away. And his income, his net worth in today's dollar was about $4 million that he left to George I'm going to butcher George's last name. George. We're just going to go with George. Um, Who he once met on a park bench in Jacksonville, Florida. So this guy just met some old guy at a park bench and was like, hey, you know, was friendly to him and ends up inheriting the equivalent of $4 million. And I'm like, that's, that's nuts. But the, the largest sum goes to somebody with a really weird name, Zolst and Geza. Okay, they're not from the U.S., just in case you're wondering. Um, but, but I go through, someone tracked them down in a cave to let them know that they inherited six billion dollars. And uh, when, when they, they get through it, they're like, um, well, we knew our, our mother had been from a wealthy family, but she was kind of honoring. She cut off her family, and then she cut us off and, um, before she passed away. And they were clueless that they had this like massive, massive inheritance. And so I was pondering this idea that they could have a massive inheritance that was theirs that they were unaware of. And as I pondered this, I realized that most Christians have a massive inheritance that they are unaware of. And that there is this this unclaimed riches, this unclaimed treasure that God has for us that most Christians are living far, far um, short of. In fact, Paul prays this for the church in Ephesians. He says, having eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope which, you, which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He goes, I'm going to pray for you, not that you could get something because you already have it. You just don't know what you have. And I, and I just begin Pondering this idea, and it just kind of began to birth of going, what, what, how do I have something, and not have it? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how do I, how is it mine if I don't have it? How is it mine if I'm not getting any benefit? Is that how could that possibly be a thing? And I begin to look and I begin to think and realize it is definitely a thing. Um, is anyone Dutch in the room? Is there any Dutch people in the room? Okay, me too. Um, very much so. And uh, my dad taught me very young that money does not just appear, unless apparently you get tracked down with a $6 billion inheritance. But for the most of us, it's not going to just appear. And so I was like, okay, so when we go out to eat, I discovered that drinks were really expensive. So like from the time I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I just ordered water because you can like double your bill just by getting fluids. And you're like, okay, this is, this is crazy. I can drink water. It's better for me. Um, but if we, if we ever got to g- get something other than water, this was like a treat. You're like, we didn't ever have a uh, pop in our house. And so if you got to go somewhere and you got to like order a pop, you were like, I am big stuff. Like, it, w- it was a big deal. But I remember going and then, you know, it was always fun. And if dad was paying as a kid, you're like, can I order a pop? And they're like, order some water. And eventually like that ingrained in me and then you get... And you turn into an adult, and all of a sudden you're paying for yourself, and you're like, I'm gonna order a pop. And you look at the price, you're like, I am not gonna order a pop. Um, and it, have you ever ordered something and then discovered that the drink was included? And you just got done with your, your meal, and you just drank water, and you're like, they had all those things that I wouldn't buy? And honestly, it's not like a fortune, but it was just a simple thing that you're like, what I had, what I paid for, was mine. But because I didn't know what was mine, I missed out. Ugh. Don't like missing out on what, it's, on what is mine. But Pastor Wayne read Psalms 23.5 a couple weeks ago, and it, it actually started my, my gears turning for this message. It, said, um, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And he said that God prepared a table for us. And so I begin to think about this. There's a table full of stuff for us. What is on that table? And if we left things that God set up for us on the table, as I thought about it, I figured that most Christians are like someone going to a giant Chinese buffet, getting their plate, getting a bowl of rice and going and sitting down, going, I'm going to make it. I've got enough. I can fill up on this. And going, I wish that there was more. I wish I could afford that chicken or that rose of chicken and all that different kind of chicken. And then they had those vegetables and they had all that stuff, but I, but I got my rice. I got my rice. And I, I begin to kind of like picture this person who, who's just picking up this little measly bit while looking at this massive buffet, wishing that they could have the rest. And I go, you know, I think that's where so often we find ourselves where we look and go, well, I wish I could have all that God has. I wish that all of this was for me, but but right now I think that this is all that, that I have. And so many Christians are disappointed and so many Christians find themselves disillusioned with their Christianity because they have left most of what God has for them on the table. And they have a measly plate and they're going, well, I thought that there would be more. You know, Well, well, I I guess that I'm not supposed to go to hell and I'm really gonna be grateful for that after I die. But right now I feel like this is kind of empty and this isn't very satisfying. And God goes, did you try the chicken? Did you try the beef? Did you try the vegetables? Did you know that this came with the hibachi grill? Did you see the ice cream bar? There's tables of ice cream and food and desserts. But, But I got my rice. And there's this spot where we can sit here and go, well, but, but, but I don't have to go to hell where I've received forgiveness, so I've got what Christianity has to offer. And God goes, did you know that there was more? Did you know that when I redeemed you from sin and I made a way that you didn't have to go to hell, that I purchased a lot more for you, that there's forgiveness, that there's healing, that there is so much that's involved in your identity, in your um, relationship with me. There's so much that I have for you. But so often we go, well, but I've been saved by grace and that's enough. Well, it, it is, but there's more. I feel like an infomercial guy. You're like, order this now for 10 but wait, there's more. I'll throw in a second one. And you're like, what? how cheap was this thing that you could add like 12 of them? Anyways, but, but his stuff isn't cheap and he's, he's giving you something that's amazing. But oftentimes we can look and go, well, I know that God has great things for Pastor Dwayne and that God's favor rests on him, but at least I'm not going to hell. And we can write it off like, well, God's got good stuff for them and God's got good stuff for them and maybe for the person over there, but for me, well, at least I'm not going to hell. And we, we can like reduce it so much and he goes, no, no, no. In fact, in Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay. It was, how, it was delivered once for all, and it's our common salvation. That means there is not a pastor package. It, 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 there's not like this like, like, oh, hey, what package did you get? Did you get like the first class package or were you like down on that economy class? Like, I think I got the economy class Christianity. We're going to make it there, but these seats are really rough. Like, that's kind of where a lot of us feel like we are. And God goes, do you realize that I purchased a first class ticket for you, but you seated yourself in the back of the plane? You go, well, I'm on the plane. Well, congratulations. We're glad you're going to get there. But it'd be more fun if you rode first class. And I I just begin to look at this and I I begin to discover that the Bible says that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And I begin looking and going, there is so much that we're missing out on, or that, that so many of us are missing out on. And we're not all missing out on the same thing. Sometimes we're like, you know what? Hey, I got the rice and I found the beans. And someone else is like, well, I found the rice and the veggies. And else was like, I found some rice and chicken. But going, what in all did, did God prepare for us? What did he give us? And I began to look at this and I was like, ooh, this is going to be a long message. This is going to be a lot of messages. And so we're not going to try to cover everything that God made for, gave you tonight, or we would be here for a very, very long time. But no that God has so much in store for you. And tonight, I want to look at like one thing. That way, we can end it at a reasonable time. But we're going to look at one thing out of the so many, and then maybe we'll go through and spend some time looking at others in the weeks to come. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that healing is for you. And if you you missed that one, um, go back and check it out because healing is for you. It's one of the things that God purchased for us that so many people miss out on. So many people go, well, that'd be nice, I'm so glad that God healed them, that they got a first-class seat, but I'm stuck here in economy. And they they, they run it, but God has great things for you. So tonight, I want to look at something that's huge, that affects you, and most of us have never thought about. Uh, We're going to look at your identity. If someone walks up to you and was to ask you, who are you? Do you know how you'd respond? Because most people respond, uh, what do you mean? That, that is the normal response. I, I may have done this to people before. Um, I, I'm an extrovert. I have a lot of fun talking to people. This is just a thing. Um, and then when I do pre-marriage counseling, I have a lot of fun with people because I'm like, ah, you're mine now for a while and I get to ask you questions. And, and there's actually a purpose to it. But one of the things I like to ask is go, tell me about you. And I'm going to find out what they view as important and it's going to come into their marriage counseling. It's going to be good. But it's funny when they're like, you ask someone, tell me about you. And they're like, uh, 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 wh- wh- what about me? I-, I don't know about me. And like, that is so common that they, that they look at it they're like, this question is too broad. I don't know who I am. I don't know. What, what about me? Can you ask me like one thing? Like, where do I work? Because I can answer that. But you ask me, who are you? Tell me about you. And they're just like, uh, I-, I don't know. But our life flows out of our identity. You will respond to things based on your identity. Based on how you see you, it changes how you respond. It changes so much about you, yet most people don't know who they are. In fact, it's one of the first things that the devil attacked. And When I think about how the devil works, I go to two places. And you've probably, if you've been here on Sunday nights before very often, you've probably heard me reference this, but I go back to Genesis to the first time we see the devil showing up and tempting somebody, and I go to when they tempted Jesus and go, what, what does the devil do? And he looks, in the right off the get-go, he attacked their identity in both situations. And we'll go back to that in just a minute because it's, it's, it's cool what, what we find. But I want you to realize... That you, if you have made Jesus your Lord, are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Um, It says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And God begins to go, I'm going to tell you who you are because I don't know that you know who you are. Like it's this idea that he's going to reintroduce me to the new me that there is so much that's changed that I might not recognize me. And and I thought, "Well, well, why? Why do I need to know? What difference does this make? It is incredibly hard to walk in success from a position of failure. If we think that we're a failure, we won't walk in success. And this is true in, like, huge, massive things, and this is true in piddly things. I will use a piddly thing to make my point. Um, I used to play a lot of volleyball. I had fun. I played with the same people all the time. We had like anywhere from uh, 24 to like 40 people who would show up here on Monday nights and play volleyball for like a decade. And so we got to know people and occasionally you just like randomly pick the teams. We didn't let it go to like junior high where everyone picks their teams and someone gets left out. We just like went down the line and we like one, two, three, four, just divide them up. Well, sometimes that works out really nice and teams turn out even. And sometimes you look at a team and it would just be stacked. And you're like, how on earth did you get that team? And you are hoping that you are on that team. But sometimes you look around and you're like, no, no, I am not on that team. But we're going to face that team. And on numerous occasions, I'd get on a team and you'd look around and you're like, okay, we're, we're, we're a good team. And then you look at them and you're like, and they're a great team. But we got this. And so, so we would go at it. But what was crazy, sometimes you'd be in a game where their better team uh, all of a sudden starts to lose. And there were certain team members that I knew that their, their physical game was incredible. Their mental game, eh, not quite so much. And so you'd watch and you're playing and you're in this like team on a 10 point scale that's like a five and they're like an eight. And all of a sudden you start to win and you watch them fall apart. And you're like, they just think that they lost. You're we're gonna take them down. And you're like, David versus Goliath. Like there's just this moment where you feel like I am the underdog, but they are going down because they think that they lost. They've got it in their mind that they are so far gone that they no longer are working together, that they're running each other over, that they're giving up on things that they could get. And you begin to watch this. And in, in the volleyball, it determines who wins, which in the end of the day, doesn't matter. But in your life, it's huge. When you look and you go, you know what? I don't even know if I'm gonna try. When, when you have an idea that you already failed, Why would you put in that much effort? And this is one of the, logically speaking, stupidest things that is emotionally um, make sense, and people do all the time. People, and if you ever met somebody who's afraid of getting rejected, who desperately needs friends, and you know what they often do? Reject everyone which, if you think about it, is really stupid, if you think about it logically. But if you enter it emotionally, it makes sense, and they do it all the time, where they sit here and they're like, well, I'm gonna, I rejected them so they wouldn't reject me. And it's this, I'm gonna reject you first so that you can't hurt me. And that comes from a place where they have assumed that they're already a failure and that they're already rejected. And so in a self-defense mechanism, they're pushing other people away trying to protect themselves from being pushed away, which has the same result of being isolated. But they feel like it might be better because they're the one doing the pushing instead of being pushed. And it, it's weird. Logically, it's stupid. Emotionally, it makes sense there's common. But we do this in other with so many areas. We do it relationally. We do it with with work, we do it with sickness, we do it with depression. I, I hear people and they'll, they'll, if they're in a position of failure, they'll claim their sickness. Oh, this is my sickness, allergy, issue. This is my depression. And they'll begin to list all these things. All the things that they don't want in life, they're like, oh, that's mine. Stamp it. Write my name on it. Sign it. Make sure no one takes it because it's mine. And they, Nobody wants to claim it thinking about it that, if you think about it logically, but emotionally, that's where so many of us end up. Where we begin to claim things, we begin to go, well, this is who I am. And, and, and even in, in with sin where it can get where they just go through going, well, I already failed. This is already who I am. What's, what difference does it make? I've already, I've already blown it. I've already done this. And, and I remember um, talking to high schoolers and, and they'd sit here and they're like, well, I know I was supposed to wait until I got married to have sex, but it's too late. So what does it matter now? And, and I watched and I saw it there and I've seen it with, with people in different situations where they just go, well, once I've already made this mistakes, once I've already lied once, once I've already cheated once, what's the difference? And they get in this position that this is who we are and God goes, no, that's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. Let me change you. Let me transform you. And as I begin to look at this, I realized something deep. You ready? If you look in the wrong place, you won't find what you're looking for. I know, that, that's deep moments with Dan. You, you got to have those every once in a while. But, and I say that, and it's kind of just silly, but this is the, the point. The point is that if we're looking for our identity in the wrong places, we'll never find our true identity. And we have an enemy who will happily make up an identity for you. But the identity that he's going to make up for you is not who you are. But if you'll let him, he'll label you with it and try to get you to claim that label. See, if, we're, um, if you're looking Looking for what you have can take forever because you can't find it in any places that you're looking. If you're looking out to find what's in, is a loss unless you look into a mirror. And God's word is our mirror. Let me repeat that. Looking out to find what is in is a loss unless you're looking into a mirror. And God's word is our mirror. As I begin to look at this, I go, where are we looking for our identity? And when I looked at Jesus, I told you I'd come back to that. When the devil tempted Jesus, he came to him and he goes, Jesus had just been baptized. God just spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Satan shows up at the end of his fast and goes, if you're really the son of God, make these stones turn into bread. And in this, he challenges, he attacks Jesus' identity. He attacks God's word and he says, your identity is hinged on your performance. Can you perform? Can you do it? Because you're only as good as your performance. And your, your quality only lasts as long as you keep performing. Because some of us have accomplished some great things. And you would think that would make us feel better. But I have talked to some of the like, people that were succeeding, and they go, no, it just adds the pressure, because now we have to keep it up. Like, they're like, I just made the best salesman. Now they expect me to do it again Next month. Now things are hinging on me because, I, I, yeah, I did it once, but I, I don't know if I can do it again. And, and there can be this identity that begins to rest on, on what did I accomplish? How can I perform? And I, I begin to look and he goes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He goes through and says, I'm going to rest on God's word, not on how my performance says I am, but on who God says I am. And God had already answered the question. And I want to encourage you because God has already defined you. It is not by your wins and your losses, by your success and by your failures. It's not by the times that you failed. It's not by the sins that you've committed. He goes, no, no, I have a new identity. If you are in Christ, you become a new creation. And God has something amazing for each of us. And I go through going, okay, well, well if it's not in our identity, what are some of the other areas that we end up Looking, well, when he came to Eve, he said this. He goes, if you'll eat this, you'll be like God, knowing. He goes, if you'll come to me and you know something, then you'll be somebody. And I was thinking, going, you know, in our society, more and more, there's this emphasis of you're somebody if you know something. If you've got enough letters after your name, that makes you somebody. And they try to put this on, well, if you can accomplish this, and it's easy in our world to get caught up in, well, if I meet these checkpoints, they'll say that I'm something. Therefore, I'll be something. Part of the, part of the problem is that can never satisfy. And it also means that right until you do that you're Nothing. And so people often go climbing this ladder looking to find something, looking to find who they are, only to find that that leaves them empty and unsatisfied. But people go all the time looking for their identity in comparison, and comparison is empty. People go looking in accomplishments, in opinions, in other people's words, and, um, looking for, for their status in, in their bank account, in how they compare, in their relationships, in their mistakes, their failures. But do you know what makes a prince a prince? His dad. What if he's really kind? Is he still a prince? What if he's a jerk? It doesn't matter. His dad is his dad, and therefore, he's a prince. If your dad's a king, you're a prince. That's just kind of how it, or, Unless you're a girl, then you're princess, pardon me. Um, but their identity comes from their father, not from their performance, not from their grades, not from their income. And I begin to look, and, and he's, God invited us into his family. And he says that if any wasn't in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. He goes, I'm inviting you into my family. And that's what's going to define you. And, and it changes things when I go, oh, I have an identity and it's not attached to this. It's attached to him. But the, the enemy is going to come at you. And if, and if you don't know who you are, it will affect how you treat everyone. Um, anyone ever heard the, the expression, hurt people, hurt people, broke people, break people? And people that don't know who they are try to put everyone else down so that they feel better about themselves. And it shows up at work, it shows up in home, it shows up in marriage, it shows up in parenting. And you talk to some people who cannot let something go, they have to be right about everything. Do you want to know why? Because they don't know who they are. And who they are hinges on winning the argument. And if my identity rests on whether the temperature was 50 or 60 yesterday, then I'm going to argue with you until we're blue in the face about something that matters not at all. I don't know if you ever got into one of those things where someone's like, oh, it was like 50. I thought it was like 60. And they're like, hey, it was 50. (laughs) Okay, okay. Unless you're wondering who you are too. And then you guys can really go at it. And (laughs) And I I have to say that there has been times where I have been the very the confident person who knew who he was and was able to let go something that was stupid. But there was times where I was the insecure person who got into stupid conflicts because it wasn't about what the temperature was, what the score was, what the info that we were arguing about was. It was about, am I valuable? And I put my valuableness on whether or not I was right. And if you don't know who you are, then, then when... It comes up in your parenting, and then all of a sudden, when your kid makes a mistake and begins to challenge you, instead of wanting to lovingly respond and walk them through this, you're ready to like, take their head off because you're trying to defend that you're greater than them because you're the parent. And so it comes out of anger rather than out of love going, hey, can I help you succeed? And that's not how you want to talk to authority, because if you do that later in life, you're going to get fired. Let me give you a life lesson. Let me help you because I care for you. It's how it should be. And if you're walking in a place of confidence, it can be. But if you're sitting here going, I'm just trying to prove who I am, then this becomes an attack on my identity and I'm going to lash back out. And it, this affects people's marriages. This affects their, their jobs because they're, they're trying to find their identity. But when you know who you are, losing the competition, losing the argument, like if you're going into a competition, the goal is to win. But if you lose it doesn't shake you. doesn't matter because that's not who you are. And that just changes things. I remember, okay, I'm going to go back a few years, wrestling with some friends and we hurt each other because I I will say both of us were insecure enough that neither of us were willing to lose. So both of us were willing to push it too far trying to get the other person to give up. And so... We, we may have broke things, bounced things, bent things. Um, and, and I look at this going, okay, you had two guys wrestling it out, not mad, not mad at each other. It wasn't like this was like, hey, we're, we got into a conflict. It was just like, hey, we're goofing, got wrestling, and nobody was willing to lose because identity was on the line. But if I wrestle with my kids, do you realize that my identity is not on the line? That my ego does not rest on whether or not my eight-year-old thinks he beat me in wrestling. You're like, I, I can go down and, and when they're younger, they think they actually win. When you're like, you're, you're wrestling with them and then you take them and you literally throw them up on top of you as you like flip over on your back. And you're like, oh, you got me. And they're like, yeah, I got dad." And you're like, cool. You can think that. I don't need to sit here and go, I let you in. Like when they, they start doing it with their brothers and their brothers are like, all right, I'm gonna start this, I'm gonna play. And then they let their brother win and then he's like, I won. They're like, no, you didn't. I let you win. Because they're still insecure and they're still trying to put their identity in the, in the contest. So they need to make sure that you realize you only won because they let you win because they're, I, they're better at it than you. But when, when I'm secure, I'm wrestling with my kids, shoot, pin me, I don't care. When we know who we are, We can navigate the conflict in our marriage out of this confidence where I don't need to to fling mud in this this contest as we address this issue. Because even if I made a mistake and we, we navigate this and this is going to become about something that I did that was wrong, I can take it on and it's not like, oh, I'm a failure. It's going, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have done that, said that, handled that. I'm sorry. And it changes things if I know who I am. If I can go through this and go, God wants to show me who I am and my identity comes from him and the fact that he said he adopted me into his family, not in whether I perform, not in whether or not I win the argument, not on whether or not my income reaches this status level, not in what car I drive, but in who he says I am. And it changes things. See, the accuser, The devil, he's trying to tell you what you are. He's trying to tell you that you aren't good enough, that you're a mistake, that you'll never measure up, that your value hangs on your success and evaporates at your first lack of success. He tries to convince you that you're rejected and unloved, but that is not who you are. And I want to share with you one of my favorite verses. I was looking at this and I was like, this is one of my favorites. And I realized I have a lot of favorites and you may have heard me say that before about a different verse I have a lot of favorites. I'll just put that out there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, if you go back in like 9 and 10, it lists people with issues. People committing different sins. And it just goes through this list and it's like there's liars and disrespectful and adulterers and homosexuals. And he just lists all this different sins. And then he goes through at the end of it, after, after all of these different sins, he looks and he goes, and such were... Some of you. Such were. Not are. Were. He goes, What you were is not what you are. He goes through and says that you can be made new. He goes through and he says, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He goes that what you were isn't who you are anymore. And let me, let me read something over you. To so you, if you have made Jesus your Lord, then you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are forgiven, you're redeemed, chosen, accepted, loved, empowered, called, commissioned, an overcomer, blessed, healed, a success, a child of God, a co-heir with Christ, seated above every enemy. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are blessed, coming in and going out. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You are an overcomer. You are the salt of the earth, a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. See, you have an identity. You You are who he says you are. And if you can walk in that, it will light up your world. It will affect your marriage. It will affect your workplace. And you find that when you begin to look at who he says you are, not in what the world says you are, not in what your accomplishments or failures say that you are. Because even if you're full of accomplishments, that won't last. He goes, no, no, it's not in the bank account. It's not in the accomplishments. It's in what he says. And this this goes on. I want to invite you to look in the mirror of his word. And when you're feeling like, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I don't know if I can have it. That if you know who you are, it changes things. And this is who you are. You are a child of God. If you've made Jesus your Lord. And if not, we can fix that. Because he invited you into his family. But again, like someone sitting at a buffet. Even if someone pays for it, it doesn't mean it fills you up. You've got to go to it. And God has so much in store for each of us. And I invite you, that if you've made Jesus your Lord, that you go to the table and you look at what God has for you. And that you're going to find that who you are is found in his word. And when you discover who you are in him, it will set you free. And he who the son sets free is free indeed. There is is freedom from depression. There is freedom from anxiety. There is healing for the broken, mentally and physically and emotionally. There is so much that's in store. And there is forgiveness. And if you have not made Jesus your Lord, in just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to say, I want to be in Christ. I want to be forgiven from my sins. I want to know that I'm right with God and I'm on my way to heaven. Actually, let's do this. Everyone... Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here and you say, today I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I am right with God and on my way to heaven. I want to be in Christ and have all that he has for me. Then when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. So that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want him to come in and to wash away my sins. Awesome. All right. We're going to say a simple prayer. And his word says, whoever calls in his name will be saved. So if you've done this before, go ahead and and join me as we say this. Um, If not, then repeat after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for making me part of your family. Today I choose to follow you forevermore. I declare that you are my Lord in Jesus name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.